Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Namaste, motherfuckers. Welcome to Namaste, motherfuckers, the only podcast where the worlds of work, comedy, and well-being collide. The podcast where the life-changing stuff happens. I'm your host, Callie Beaton, and this episode is called Centre Stage. And if you haven't already, please do remember to rate, review and recommend the podcast. We love you so much, those of you who've already done that. Well, we love those who haven't, but you know, crack on. Thank you. But back to today's theme, which is the stage. According to the Irish dramatist Sean O'Casey, all the world's a stage and most of us are desperately under-rehearsed. Judy Dench made her stage debut at the age of five playing a snail in a school play. In one of the first stage productions of A Christmas Carol, Scrooge was aged 57, which is exactly the same age as Brad Pitt and Johnny Depp. Elvis Presley famously never performed encores. The phrase Elvis has left the building. Sorry, I can't do the accent. Can't do any accent. It came about Elvis has left the building as a phrase, as a way of letting his fans know that he would not be coming back on stage. And the word exhibilation, exhibilation, is the sound of an audience booing and or hissing someone off stage. And it's not surprising I've never heard of that word. No, babe. Do I look glam? You look glam. That's today's guest, Verona Rose. George Carlin said, if all the world is a stage, where's the audience sitting? ABBA's stage costumes in the 1970s were deliberately over the top and impractical so they could be tax deductible as in Sweden there was a rule that this could only be the case if it was proved that they could not be used for everyday wear. If only we'd known all those fashion trailblazing things were a tax dodge. The screenwriter Terry Nation created Daleks after watching a performance by the Georgian National Ballet and seeing the dancers glide across the stage. And last but not least, a bit of a gory fact here, in ancient Roman plays, if a character had to die, actors were replaced by convicted rapists or murderers who were then actually killed live on stage. Charming. Oh, I need to put my headphones on, don't I? Verona Rose is an actor, presenter, comedian, writer, photographer, musician, 
editor. In fact, it's a lot quicker to say what she can't do. Her star rose very quickly for a few good reasons, one of them being her brilliant BBC Three comedy shorts, Fully Blown, centred around two young women trying to escape their ordinary lives by creating superstar rap personas, Stars and Gapsy. The Breakthrough Stars and Gapsy clip on Lad Bible generated over 3.5 million views and the shorts went on to be nominated for a Broadcast Digital Award. Her numerous TV appearances since then have included starring in The Real Dirty Dancing on E4, appearing in Top Boy on Netflix as well as being in its writer's room for the next series and she is also the host of ITV2's dating show Secret Crush. One quick thing before we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode um, is that Verona and I talk about an interview I heard her do with Athena. We don't actually say which Athena we're talking about. So if you're thinking, what, who, huh? There's a link in the show notes, but it's Athena Kuglin News, Keeping Athena Company podcast that we're talking about. So link in the show notes for that one. So Verona and I talked about belonging, bullying, body shaming, race, racism, the Brit School, ambition, rejection, resilience, recognition, and finding your voice. But I started by asking her about having recently moved back to her hometown of Southampton. I've just moved back though, just in um in December. But I've got as soon as we well, I was gonna say as soon as we finish, not soon as, but I'm I'm coming up to London today because I'm working tomorrow. Uh, so I okay. travel up the night before normally, yeah. So Amazing. But I'm like, I wanna stay. Are you in London? I'm in London, yeah. I'm near Camden, yeah. So oh, quite, that, yeah. oh that's good. Because I grew up um well in the West Country, I grew up in Dorset and then I so I grew up in Dorset and then I went to college in uh Wiltshire in Salisbury. Oh, no. And then I used to travel down to Southampton sometimes to go like shopping and stuff. In fact, I used to get my hair cut. There was a Miss Selfridge in Southampton. Oh, my gosh. That was and they used to have a hair salon above it. This is going back. This is the 80s. And there was a hair salon above. And I used to get my hair. I was a goth. And I used to get my hair done. There was a particular hairdresser that I really liked. And I felt kind of like he understood my look. And I was quite insecure. So I used to get the train to Southampton to get my goth hair done. Oh, that's so cute! I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad Southampton was was of assistance to you. It definitely was. But I was work- I was listening to your podcast with Athena that you did um, a couple of years ago, and I gather it was not always it wasn't always so good for you. It's funny no. you're back there. So because growing yeah. up there, were you growing up there in the nineties? Eighties, no, eighties, nineties. Yeah, you look about twenty two. That's why I'm thinking. thanks, babe. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Keep the lighting. <laughs> yeah, it's the lighting, babe. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was. It was, um, it was. It was a bit, a bit weird. But I think maybe that it was the area. I mean, actually, I was going to say the area I grew up, just the whole of Southampton, to be honest. And it is still weird being back now. But what's interesting is how diverse it is. Because it wasn't diverse back then, was it? I know when I no. used to go, it was not diverse. Yeah, not at all. And it's still not, but it's a lot more diverse than it was. So I'm going up. <laughs> I know I've got a fan here, like, turning around on me, but I am at the hot flush stage of life, so I'm always the wrong temperature. I just called my GP, and she said, what's up? I said, oh, for the last couple of weeks, I've felt like real mood swings and hot flushes. She said, what do you mean since the heat wave? I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny. Oh, my God. Yeah, same as babe. 
I was so trying to get extra estrogen and <laughs> she was like what, why don't you wait until September and we'll see what you like when the weather's cooled down so what was it so growing up um yeah because I, I remember at my secondary school which was in Dorset and they amalgamated a load of different schools. So we had, um, I think the furthest afield school was Bournemouth. They shut a school down in Bournemouth that became part of our school. There was one person of colour yeah. in our entire school yeah. from 11 yeah. to 18. And I think there were a couple of thousand pupils. Yeah. Now, I know I was in rural Dorset, um, so it probably was even less diverse. But my impression is that Southampton wouldn't have been so different to that at that time. Exactly the same. When my so I've got um I've got three brothers and a sister, but I'm ten years older than my youngest brother, sixteen years older than my young my sister. Same parents. But um when when I was at school, when my my brother left school, I was the only black person in the whole school, and it was really odd. It was so weird. But actually, do you know what? It wasn't. It wasn't weird until I left Southampton to go, when I was sixteen to go to the Brit school. I went to Brit school and my accent was a bit different how it is now. And I got there and everyone was like, you're like a white girl in a black girl's body. Like, why do you act like that? Why do you talk like that? And I was like, what? And I had like this, almost like this identity crisis where I was like, shit, like I'm not proper black, even though my whole family's black. But it was this whole thing of, I can't believe I grew up in Southampton. How embarrassing. I was the only black person in my school. People must have thought. And I, I literally, this is, sounds terrible. I've, I'm, I'm over this now, but I, decided to not talk to any of my friends apart from one because I was like I was like this black girl and like I've been made fool of yeah it was really odd it doesn't sound terrible it sounds like you came up with a strategy for survival because as human beings we really need to belong right it's incredibly yeah. hard being the person who doesn't fit in yeah and I guess you had a different version of not fitting in as a kid where there was an overt difference if you were the only black kid in the school. Yeah. And then you come to the Brit school, where I'm sure there were loads of black kids, but they weren't brought up with a background like you. So you're like not fitting in yet again, but for a yeah. different reason. So that yeah. must have blindsided you a bit, didn't it? It was, yeah, it was so odd. I was yeah. like, it, yeah, it was so, so odd. I lost all my confidence at Brit school. I got it back, but yeah. Was, so you was, lost was, your confidence at Brits because because one of the things that are, you know delving into what you do and lots of people will know you, you've had such a kind of meteoric rise and, and we'll talk about some of the stuff you've done that was really sort of groundbreaking and how hard you had to work to get oh, it sure. away but looking at you now and seeing how you come across on screen and social media and talking to you a little bit in person you don't seem like that so so having a childhood where you you know, I mean, I heard you talk to Athena, like you experienced some really racist shit at school, not least from teachers, which is yeah. quite unimaginable. So the people who you should have gone to for help were the people doling it out. So that oh, must yeah, have been yeah, a really yeah. painful kind of way to get through childhood and teenage years for starters. Yeah, I think, do you know what? I think um, when you don't know any different, it, it so it was... It's not until afterwards that I was like, okay, this wasn't right. Okay, like um, I'd go to the shop and they'd serve everyone before me, even though I was in the queue first or, you know, but it's not until uh, like you come out of that situation. Even when I was in London, I mean, I'm, I'm up there still a lot, but my my mum's like, oh, me and Shanta went to the shop and someone spat at us and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, it's you like, you want to live there? Why would you? And I just get so angry, but angered by it. I mean, I'm back here now. But, um, but um, yeah, it's not until, I can't remember what I was saying, I've lost my thought process. But it Talking was not about normalising it when you're in it, so you don't know yeah, different. Yeah. So if a teacher's no, no behaving different. like that, you, and also it's really hard, even if you do know different, 
it's hard enough as women our age, obviously we're not quite the same age, but women, adult women, grown women, it's really hard to assert. When some I have it now where someone will do someone does something really unacceptable backstage at a show I did recently. Not not um just his behaviour was really bullying. I think he probably would have done it to a guy as well. I don't think it was sexist, but it was unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, I'd love to think I had all the comebacks. And I was like, how dare you? But actually, I just went really in on myself and lost my confidence. And it took me oh, about two you. weeks to come up with the brilliant reply I should have had, oh, uh, which was a bit you. late. But even as adults, with all the resilience we've learned, it's really hard to stand up in that scenario. But I imagine as a kid, if teachers are saying stuff to you, treating you a different way, and speaking out because some of the stuff you actually people actually said to you teachers was completely unacceptable right it wasn't yeah. even just sort of subtle stuff oh yeah 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 but I mean I remember my German teacher um and yeah he took me he took me into the because I I had complained and said that I thought one of the teachers was treating me a certain way because of, because of my color and then he took me um into the library at lunchtime and said to me do you think Miss So-and-so is racist? And I was like, uh, yeah. He was like, do you think I'm racist? I was like, um, and I kind of said no sort of thing, yeah. you know, because I, I was like, mm, Because no. you're in a cupboard said, with a guy asking if you're racist, which exactly. is not a nice scenario for starters. Exactly. So I was like, he was like, well, I'm going to tell you, I am racist. No doubt everyone in this school is racist. How we, and um, what was it? Something like um, how we choose to treat you is up to us personally but also it doesn't mean that we're going to treat you differently but I am and I'm just like okay but I don't know I don't know sometimes I'm like mm, maybe he was saying it's some I don't know I don't know anyway how did you then because to cope with the, what age would you have been when that lovely German teacher said that maybe um I think maybe 13 14 so that's a really difficult age for anyone, right? You're sort of like, you're between girl and woman and you don't really know who you are. Friends yeah. aren't always great allies at that age. I think regardless yeah. of gender, it's really very volatile time. So what did you do? So when you walked out that cupboard after that, what what, what did you do? Where did you go? I, I don't um, know what I'd have done in that scenario. Do you know what? In those, you know, because of, you know, who my friends were and stuff, I'd, I'd never really confided in any of my friends because they wouldn't understand. I remember, I remember a bus driver saying something to me and I said to my friend, oh, this was my best friend. I said, oh, he was being racist. And she was like, oh, don't be like that. Why would you say that? So I never would say anything. Um, but I went home. I remember I went home and I told my parents and my mum was absolutely fuming. My dad, my dad was exactly the same. But my my mum had spoken to, so my, I've got a cousin and my mum and her are similar ages. Um, they, they grew up like sisters almost. And um, my cousins, she, they grew up in London. And like, they grew up in London then before that, um, uh, abroad. So they, they, they've always been around loads of black people. And I remember my cousin saying, she thought I was lying. Like, why would that happen? So your cousin so, turned on you. Yeah, yeah. She she kind of kind of in a like that that just wouldn't happen. That's ridiculous. Like that that, that definitely didn't happen. And I'm like, well, you live in London. Then before that, like, you didn't live in this country, you know. So yeah, it's very... also, what a lie to come up with. I mean, where would you dig that one up from? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you did. So going through all of that, and then because when you look at if you look on paper, and that's the interesting thing about people I talk to on this. So we're talking to people who are successful and I think anyone from your school days, I imagine if you put everyone from your year, including your German teacher in a room and found out what everyone's <laughs> doing, you are going to be quite a shining light of success. <laughs> so you would look at that and think, oh, I broke out of Southampton, went to the yeah. Brit school and 
and that was it. The touch paper was lit. Um, and also, it's really hard to get into the Brit School. We shouldn't underestimate it's, t- it's competition to get in. Did you what you have to audition to get in, right? To the Brit yeah, School. What, what did you? What were your sort of things you were? What were your talents at the time that you got in on? Um, oh, just acting and writing. So um, just I, acting I, and writing. Just no, sorry, no, because when I look, do, no, not. what I mean is, <laughs> <laughs> no, because you know what? When I look back, I'm always like. Oh, I wish I'd done musical theatre. I mean, I can't sing, I can't dance, but I can semi sing. Yeah. So it's like, oh, if I'd have done, if I'd have, maybe if I'd applied for musical theatre, I wouldn't have got in because I had no dance training. But um, yeah, so what, to go to Brit School, I had to write. I remember um, I had to write a script, um, and that was to just get the audition. So you write a script, you send it in. Then I had a big group audition with loads of us, and then after the aud- group audition, they then. Um, I don't know if they sent some people home or how it worked, but um, I'm pretty sure that they sent some home and they told some people, you're now going to go to an audition, um, an interview, an interview room, you have an interview. And then, and um, I, I think there was something else after that. I mean, it was like 20 odd years ago now. How many? Yeah, 20 odd years ago. So it was so long ago, but, you know, they, um, uh, yeah, there was an interview and then you wait and then they send you a letter to say whether you've got in or not. Um, and yeah, it was it was it was amazing. It was absolutely incredible. My mum bought me a suit, and not realising that everyone was there, like in like you know really comfortable acting clothes, ready for a work job. And I was there in this suit, rolling around on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what got you in. They were like, "Listen, yeah. she stands out. No one else is doing that." They probably thought it was right. ironic. And is it um, because I know a friend of mine's son's just got into the Brit School and there are lots oh, of people on the circuit. Yeah, no, and he's and he's I think he'll be the next like Ed Sheeran, very talented kid. And I think his dad, who's a struggling comedian, is relying on his son becoming the next Ed Sheeran. Oh. But lots of people or, or plenty of people who do what I do now went to Brit School. Obviously, you'll know lots of people who did. But lots of people's story about the Brit School is oh, I didn't fit in at school and then I got to the Brit School and I was allowed to find my voice. But you said it kind of you lost yourself at the Brit School. Well, actually, I went to Brit School and yes, you can be yourself. It was incredible mm. in terms of like I would go, I would wear whatever I wanted to, you know. No like, suit. What happened to the suit from your mum? Yeah, exactly. No more suits. But yeah, if no. I wanted to wear two, I used to wear two different shoes, like ridiculous. But, you know, like one one color trainer and another color trainer on the other foot you could really explore who you wanted to be and they did they gave you that they gave you that space too but I think I I think my um confidence was damaged and actually I spoke to a friend of mine and we hadn't spoken we hadn't seen each other in years and we caught up and we spoke about it and she said to me oh yeah you know critical damage my confidence and I was like oh my gosh mine as well and I think what happens there is it's incredible it's the best experience ever I'm you know I'm I feel so grateful to have gone there but I do think that there are it's it's just the same as the industry really there's this whole thing of it's very clicky so I, I, I'm, um, even though I come across as very loud, I am very reserved as well. So I'm not going to be like, be my friend. Oh, we're all, ah, you know, and if the teachers, if you're not the teacher's favorites, then you, you're going to kind of know it if you like, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So I remember there being auditions and, um, auditions for something. I can't remember what it was now, um, you know, like a show at the school and they were like, this is the only date you can do blah, blah, blah. Come and talk to us. If you want, if you want help with, um, your audition piece, blah, blah, blah. And I remember going, they were like, yeah, that's fine, do that. But there were a couple of people that you know that were the favourites, and we all knew anyway, and they were not able to make the audition date. So they then what they done was held another audition date. Mm. And all of those people wow. that went to the second one got the roles. So it's like they knew who they wanted to win already, if that makes 
accents. I think people would, everyone would see it um, through different, you know, for, through different eyes. But from my experience, I was just like, you know, sometimes you were, um, if you had an opinion, so I was very much, oh, you know, I'll put my hand up and you might say something and then you'll get people that, that's like, that's like ridiculous, like what you're saying, you know, rather than it being, okay, actually, when, you, when you've got an idea, nothing is wrong, everything is right. Um, you know, it's it, it's your creative um, your creativity. So if that's what if that's what you think is right, then that's fine. Whereas you'd get you'd get these little sniggers and things. I think in a way, like if you get to the place, I guess when you get the letter and you're like, right, this is it now. I'm getting to the place where, and then if within that there's still the hierarchy and the cliques and the who's cool and who's not, it's kind of depressing because you feel like you've you've run away to follow the dream where you'll fit in and have the fairy tale kind of finish, and then yeah. even there there's different kinds of prejudice and different kinds of not belonging. And it's kind of wears you out a bit, doesn't it? Because it's also really, it really again, you're still does. young, aren't you? You're still, yeah. you were there, what, 16 to 18 when 16, you went there? Yeah, 16 to 18, yeah. Did you leave home then to go? Did, were you living away from home at 16? Yeah, yeah. Or how My was parents, that? It was, that was another thing. I think all of that on top of, you know, realising, oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm not proper black. I'm not what, you know, what, yeah, I'm not uh, I don't fit in, in in the London black scene, basically. All of that. And then my parents found me this, like, um, host family. Well, it was a lady. So I used to, um, I, like, I lived in her house. So it would be, um, she, you know, I wasn't allowed friends around or anything. And she would say to me, make sure you're home at this time. She basically would just watch over you. She wasn't looking after me, but watching over me sort of thing. So um, it was... You know, then you, you come home and you don't have anyone. You don't really have anyone to say, oh, okay, I've gone to school. <laughs> and I didn't realise that actually I'm so different because I grew up in Southampton, even though my background is West Indian. And at home, you know, I've, I've grown up in a Caribbean household. We eat certain foods. We my you know, my granny and my dad have West Indian accents. I've come here and now I'm being told I'm like a white girl in a black girl's body. It was, it was, it was bonkers. It was, it was very difficult to deal with um at such a young age and on one's own yeah because 16 you're like I'm sure now you would look at a 16 year old woman as a child as a child yeah Yeah. that's that I mean my daughter's 22 and I still she's doing independently since she was oh (laughs) she's my little I've got an older one but she um but she left home at 18 to live in Amsterdam to study. Oh and even at 18, I, I didn't read, and she's half Dutch, she speaks Dutch, but even yeah. then plonking her in another country that she knew well in a language yeah. she could speak, but she wasn't living in halls of residence. She was living independently because that's how it is over there at uni. Yeah. And even watching my daughter that's go true. through that experience with, you know, in, in a way where she was kind of set up to fit in because she was a Dutch person going to a Dutch uni to think that you were two years younger than that. And and even London, I used to, I moved to London when I was 18 from the West Country. And I found it, looking back at it, I was totally out of my depth. I went that's, to Goldsmiths, yeah, totally out of my depth. I just styling it out for those three years. Interestingly, I don't have any friends from those years because I don't really? think I knew, I don't think I had the confidence. To, I did have friends during it, but yeah. I don't have any that have sustained. So I think because I didn't really, I don't think I was my authentic self. I think all the friendships I had were based on trying desperately to be who I thought I needed to be. And it's only when I yeah. became more myself that I've had friendships that have lasted. Yeah. So I can on a tiny level relate to what you're saying, but actually you doing that at 16 yeah. and with all the other nuances of what you went through, because does it, I mean, there's all this kind of bullshit, isn't there? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And you do seem like a very resilient person. I mean, when you look at what you've done creatively and how hard you've worked to get what yeah. you've got, that seems to be 
resilient do you feel like you've become a resilient person oh I definitely agree with what doesn't kill you makes you stronger yeah. I feel like I feel like I'm, I'm I'm actually grateful that I experienced um rejection um I'm grateful that I experienced not fitting in because now now I feel like if I I, I don't go into things with um uh unrealistic expectations so you know even though I, you know I want to do incredible things I might get offered something but I'll say okay you know stay grounded and wait until you know um this this is in writing or wait until you're on set you know I think I think it was very important I, especially in this industry I think it's very very important for people um to experience rejection before their first yeses because I think I think um, some people come out of drama school, they get a yes straight away or come out of school or music or wh whatever it is. They get this yes straight away. Everything's flying incredibly well for them. And then um, when they get their first no or their knockback, I it can really affect some people, um, you know, their, their mental well-being. So, I am, um, yeah, I think uh, for me, I'm very glad that I experienced all those things. And, yeah, it does make you stronger, more resilient and um yeah, just and yeah, yeah, it does definitely. Namaste, motherfuckers. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So having worked on the other side of the industry for a long time, having been one of the kind of gatekeepers, I know how hard it is to get stuff commissioned and get it away from a standing start. So you ended up um, doing the incredible Fully Blown for BBC Three, but the way that came about is a properly inspirational story. So will you tell listeners a bit about, about how that came about and what it what it is? Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, so Fully Blown, actually, um, it was an idea that just stemmed from, so, you know, I grew up in Southampton. Um, I'm, I used to be an MC, a female MC, so or rapper back in That's the day. That's quite rare as well. Like, not many female MCs. No, yeah. but we've got the ones we do have, they're incredible. But yeah, so I am, um, I won the Homegrown Cuts on BBC One Extra back in the day. Love it. Was that when you were Brit school or after Brit school? That was after Brit school. Yeah. That was after Brit school, yeah. Um, so anyway, myself and a friend, myself and Donna Preston, we, um, we came together and and uh, we were like, you know, people just kept saying to us, oh, you're bouncing really well off each other. You two together are really, really funny. So so we were just like, I mean, I, already in the past, I had been creating like content and just making little films and doing little bits. Um, and Donna and I actually had a meeting with Sarah Santi from BBC. And yeah, she just yeah. she just gave us so much like information for free. She, absolutely beautiful. She just she just, you know, told us um what what's the what briefs they, they've got for the year this and that and and you know how to get into the industry and and spoke to us about different production companies and she gave us so much information but then we were like do you know what I just think it, it seems really difficult you know the, the avenues you were saying so we were like do you know why don't we just go and make it ourselves make it ourselves Amazing. we'll put it out there we've We'll create this um, fake Instagram account and everything, and make people think that these girls are real. Um, so then we um, does that fake Instagram account still exist? It does so still exist, and, and it's what it's it's um, it would be. It, I'm just going to double check. It's Stars it's, and Gapsy. So okay. S 
B-A-R-Z. Yeah. And G-A-P and the letter C. Right, we'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we just thought, you know, let's let's get some people together. We got loads of friends together. Um, put a couple of things out on on social media to say, you know, we're looking for some, for some people to help us out. Got loads and loads of help for free. Like people were just incredible. We filmed um, we filmed six episodes. So we we done some in London, and then anything that needed to be outside, we came to Southampton, stayed at my parents, and um, and then just you know filmed in the Southampton area. And then we got back, and I edited like I edited most of the episodes together. But then I was like, let's do like a uh, a teaser. Mm-hmm. so I edited like a little thing and it was it was so odd I, we got an email literally the day that I'd finished the edit we got an email from Sarah um saying hey girls what are you up to um my boss really loves you we saw um this lad bible video that you've done we did this lad bible video that um got like three or nearly four million views in like 48 hours wow. it was a bonkers yeah um, and she was like, they love you, blah, blah, blah. So, so it would be great to just have a chat. And, I, and we were like, oh, well, we've just finished this. And she was like, do you know what? I love that you've gone off after our meeting. You've gone and made this thing. And you're trying to make it happen yourself. This is great. Thank you. Like, let's make, have a meeting and um, bring it and show us what you've got. Um, and um, we showed them. And that, at the time, it was actually, uh, we'd done it mockumentary style. Because we were like, that's the easiest way we can mm-hmm. do this on our own. Um, and then um, and then they were like, look, we're going to give you these three episodes for this strand that we've got called The Threesomes, but you need to link up with a production company. Um, so we've done that. And uh, yeah, and and then Fully Blown was born, which was great. And, and that was two, three years ago now, Fully Blown? Maybe about four years ago. Four now. years ago. Four, yeah, most probably, maybe a bit more, actually. But um, yeah, it was, it was really good fun to do. And then they um, they then commissioned like a pilot episode as well. But the, we've had a few issues there, which is um, so that hasn't gone ahead just yet. But um, there's always, uh, I know, from the other side, many issues from many angles. Doesn't yeah. mean it won't happen though. Some of the biggest yeah. shows we ever had, I, I've run a couple of production companies over the years, and yeah. usually the really big shows took years and there were setbacks, and we thought they weren't going to come about. And then when they finally happened, they were the ones that stuck. So I have full faith that if there's something that's meant to happen, it will still it happen. happen. Its yeah. moment will come. So when you talk Fingers about crossed. that, like, so you because it's it's really unusual that people are able to create content, present content, edit content, <laughs> do the music. I mean, you, you you'll talk about kind of multifaceted. So first of all, you must be a bit of a grafter because you don't just learn to do those things by osmosis. You've got to just put the hours in, right? Like editing, you can be taught the theory, but you just got to get stuck in. So yeah. so you are you a massive kind of not a workaholic? That sounds negative, but you get your sleeves rolled up. I'm guessing. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Roll them up. I'm like because the thing is, is I, I what I noticed with myself in the industry because I do a lot of comedy, but I, I'm an actor. Um, and obviously, I, and I've not obviously, and I also I present a show on ITV too as well. But I'm actually an actor. Because um, I was a, I was a lot slimmer back in the day, big boobs, big gap, and I was going to auditions. And I'm like, I'm actually I went to something, and then they were like, we booked you because we thought you're incredible. But then they asked to put this is years ago. They asked to put a coat on me because of my profile, because of the way my boobs looked. My stomach was completely flat, and my boobs looked too big. So I was like, do you know what? I'm gonna have the bonkers. I know wow. now, right? How long ago was that then? Like that 10 was years, years ago? ago. Yeah, more. Yeah, more. Yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah, let's say ten years ago, yeah. maybe a bit more. But they were like, someone get thrown in a coat, ah, you know, because my boobs were just. 
And now I don't have that problem, which is odd. I don't Why know is that, do you think? What's changed? I don't know if it's because I'm bigger or if it's like I'm a bit bigger all around because I was very tiny with just big boobs and like my boobs were up here, flat stomach. I don't know if it's that or if it's um, that I'm just older and it's like, okay, it, she's a, she's an older woman. It's, you know, it's not, or times have just changed. And we just, we're, we're accepting people's, um, we accept that people have got, have got different body shapes. Because you were saying that when, because when you look at, it's funny hearing you say that it sounds like right through your life you've had people making assumptions based on you outwardly so the color of your skin the size of your breasts you know so and also with that there's a real risk not only is it an assumption nobody wants to be underestimated nobody wants to be misunderstood and none of us deserve assumptions but also in your case underestimated like people like making assumptions when it's really interesting, when you look at what you do and what you stand for, I don't think there are many people who do what you do on screen who have all these disciplines behind the cameras as well. So it's kind of like you've actually double put your time in, but you're getting uh. underestimated. So how, so, and again, it's really interesting that you, ba- that you kind of bounce back from that because the fact you, you haven't kind of got knocked back by that and you've just yeah. actually gone on to be bigger and better at everything. It's a real kind of testament to you. So that hard work and thing, that sort of work ethic, is that... What, what do you yeah how do you kind of dust yourself down and keep going in the light of actually what for you was a bit of a steeper hill to climb than it should have been by the sounds yeah of it. yeah do you know what I think I try to think so my little brother's exactly the same as me as well he's the, the one I'm, t- I'm 10 years older than and then it's so is my older brother who's two years older than me we're all and we're all in the creative industry we're all like we do our own thing we you know um they're, they're both music musicians sorry um but I, I don't know if it's I think it must be something learned from a very young age. It's like, no one's going to give it to you. You're different. Like, you know, this is me being in school. Okay. No one's going to give it to you. No one's going to hand anything to you on a plate. So you have to just try harder. You've got to do it and you've got to prove yourself. Um, because actually this, I, this just popped into my head because you, you mentioned about the knockbacks. When I was in school, I was actually the fastest in my class. And I never, there's two things that happened. I never um, ran from my school one and secondly um I we we um had I used to be part of youth theatre and we had a big showcase and uh I did this I wrote this piece called Jailbird about this about this old lady that not old lady but this about this old older woman that um her son uh she ended up going to prison for her son because of something that he had done and I won an award for it but then we got um, it was joint joint first place uh best actress for the for the uh for youth theatre mm-hmm. and when I got we went up and got our certificates and it was like oh it was really nice when I got home my certificate was the one and it could have just been it could have it could have just been that that's just how it worked out but my certificate was the one that said second place on it but when I went up they were like joint first place and I got home and I remember being really upset by it like and then I um, I don't know if I thought it was, I, I don't think I thought it was a racial thing then, but as I got older, I'm like, I wonder if they were like, you know, we'll give the one, the other person, because they're not, they're white. We'll give them the one that's his first place and give her the one that's second. But I remember being quite upset by it when I was younger. It's really, um, it's important as well for people to kind of still hear this, because you're not, it's not like you're a 60 year old woman, not that it would be okay if you were, but it's no. not like, we don't think that that, stuff should have been going on as recently as it was should yeah. never have been going on but we would like to think times had changed by then yeah but the really interesting bit then not that anyone should have to be up against that and you shouldn't have to be resilient in the face of that shit so yeah. it's not a fair battle to ask you to fight but something with all of those difficult things and I know you're not being like oh my diamond shoes are too tight I know you're not asking for anyone to give you like sympathy but just looking at it in terms of your 
you know, we talked about the word resilience and, and your yeah. capacity to bounce back, which I know as a creative is is essential because we all get knocked back so much. But yeah. so where, where do you draw on that? Then are you aware what you do to help yourself bounce back when things like that happen? I don't think I am. I don't think I am aware of what I, I, I mean. I what I've taught myself is, firstly, I think I read this somewhere what what other people think of you is none of your business okay mm-hmm. what and also I just I I can make assumptions of uh, on um why someone is behaving or treating me a certain way but I, I genuinely don't know why they are being like that they can have things going on in their lives so I just I just try to not take things personally mm-hmm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. um and I'm just like you know I love performing I love creating so that's why I do it if that makes sense, rather than, because I've had a lot of friends, I had to speak to a few, you know, when you speak to your friends, and you, we we stay, we're in this industry because we love mm-hmm. what we do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we get bogged down, when, when's the next job? Oh my gosh, you know, I, I need I need an audition, I need this, I need that, I need it. And it's like, we have to remember, for, the, for those of us that were doing it when we were kids, why were you doing it? You were doing it when you were a kid because it's something you love. It's just, it just so happens now we can get paid for it. Mm-hmm. You know, as we're older, we can get paid, um, which is incredible. We need to be paid for, for our work. Mm-hmm. But, um, but also I, I'm like, um, for myself, if I create something and I'm, 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 I'm creating something, um, uh, on my own or with, you know, with a team behind me, with my, my partner and friends and stuff, it's just because I love doing it. And then afterwards, now I've got, I've got some, um, connections that I can say look I've created this mm-hmm. what do you think you know but but um essentially the main thing is is just doing the thing that I love as opposed to it being I really want I really want to need like the recognition mm-hmm. for this it's just you know at least I'm getting to get um getting to have that creative outlet that's uh, really um, powerful actually because I think people in our because it's so whimsical and it's so kind of if you're looking for like justice or a pattern or anything to be fair, we're all in the wrong game, right? Because there will be people, if you want to wind yourself up about it, that person who got that job that I feel like I should have got and I'm better than them or whatever, we, that professional envy and the insecurity yeah. that generates. And if you're, it's interesting that if you're doing it because you've got your creative conviction, but also you're doing it, I think probably if you look at Fully Blown as an example, you were like a tour de force with that because you believed in it. It was you and it was authentic. So of course it was going to work. When a commissioning yeah. editor saw that, they yeah. were going to find that appealing and compelling because it you had just gone straight at it creatively with all that energy and, and belief. So yeah. that is absolutely the most, that's why user-generated content does so well. I think that's why people are now just making their own fortunes and being their yeah, own voice yeah. on TikTok yeah. or whatever short form they want to create. And that's what's coming into the mainstream because they're like, well, I'll, I'll tell you what my voice is and you tell me if you want it, not yeah. you'll tell me how to make yes. it. So you yeah. were kind of an early adopter of that because it was pre kind of TikTok and stuff and people weren't necessarily thinking like that. But it yeah. is, but it's a really lovely way to think about because I think that's also why the, the energy you have on shows and it's why you get booked for so many things. I think once people work with you and see you, they're like, oh my God, and she could do this and she could do that because yeah. you managed to kind of make it work on screen and off. But given all the oh, things... thank you. <laughs> no, it's definitely, you know, um, you and I just did, we did Celebrity Pointless and I crashed out before you. So uh, we only got the I, I was only... <laughs> because of Bobby Seagull that's why he he was incredible I was very jealous I was like I want Bobby Seagull (laughs) but no you're everything you're doing yourself down you were you were a strong (laughs) person to have on the in the studio but did you given all the things you're doing so you're doing a lot of 
presenting and you're kind of we're kind of faced increasingly of various different shows on kind of mainstream channels so given all those things you do you know actor comedian writer musician editor what you could go in so many different ways and you said you see yourself primarily as an actor but what what do you where where do you want to go then if you could choose do you know what's so interesting if you asked me this uh seven years ago it would I would I would say you'd never I would never be doing entertainment tv you wouldn't see me on you know something like celebrity pointless I'm an actor I'm an actor and that's what I do you know I train to be an actor and that's it but as I've got older I'm kind of like do you know what I, I love performing I love being creative so get in where you fit in basically so if I end up doing like lots lots more um presenting on reality tv that kind of thing then I'm happy to do that. But ultimately, my 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 first love, my first passion, before before I actually, firstly, I wanted to be a singer, but then I discovered I couldn't sing. <laughs> right, it's like well. me with acting. I wanted to be an actor, discovered I couldn't act. It's a blow, a body blow when that happens. <laughs> You're like, let's do something else. Exactly. But Plan B. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, but acting, um, yeah, acting is acting is where I would I would love to be Hollywood um would be the dream but then I am content with with what I do now but more of that more please guys yeah well you're getting a lot and I, and, yeah. I, and I and I have been spoken to you for this podcast I'm pretty sure you're going to keep getting more and would it be so it's more kind of film and tv roles rather than theater yes yeah, yeah. but I love theater theater was my first love like theater there's no have you done theatre as well? Yeah, I have, yeah, badly, yeah. Done it all badly. <laughs> I, I bet it wasn't that bad. But it, I just thought that there's no other feeling like being in front, I suppose, stand-up, like what you do, but when, you, when you've got a live audience yeah, there, you yeah. see their reactions right there and then. It's just incredible. And at the end of any time I've done theatre, I would cry. We finish and it's like, oh, my gosh, we're family. We all cry and we say we're going to be friends forever. As you say, you stay in contact for a week every single day. And then yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, all goes, it's definitely, I always say that, and it's true, that my my kind of hour on stage every day, and it is virtually every day I'm on stage, is my happiest That's hour. Incredible. And the 23 other hours are the tricky ones. So I do, I, I do feel, and it's really funny, isn't it? How I'd had a really difficult weekend this weekend, and I had two gigs on, I think it was Saturday night, and I just thought, do you know what? I need these to go well. I'm working up for a big telly thing I'm doing in the autumn. I was like, I've got to just use every bit of stage time to my... And I just went in, like, and have some self-belief and just know you're going to love this. And I just had the best night. And I was like, how could I have felt like I felt on the tube going to those gigs? Oh, felt that you. bad. And then got on stage and just... And I thought it's, it's, like a, it's like a little holiday from yourself when you're performing, isn't it? Yeah, it's your happy place. Oh, Are you totally. in character when you do your stand-up Not, then? I think I used to be more. I think now it's... It's more authentic and that's something I'm really trying to work more on because I came from more the kind of corporate presenting background so I was very glossy and very buttoned up and for stand-up uh, people want it to be a bit more authentic and messy so for, yeah. yesterday I did a kind of more workshoppy one after those Saturday night ones which were like club 20s you know had to be punchline rich and keep yeah. a very drunk crowd kind of happy but then yesterday I did um, a kind of more experimental one over in Hackney somewhere in some like you know hipster you know crochet your own clothes kind of a place and I did like I did um much more experimental 
20 just to see and I'm just I'm trying to combine the two but no it, in answer to your question it's a heightened version of myself like I think most comedians would say that okay, but it's yeah. definitely not it's it's definitely I'm trying to be as much me as I can be and things like doing this every week really help because yeah. you're you're doing something you broadcast that's entirely authentic and it helps you get your yeah. voice because it's hard to have your own voice on stage or on any platform until you know what your own voice is and yeah. it took me a lot longer than you it took me till in my 50s I think to know what my voice sorry was. hold on what yeah, I'm in my, I'm 53 now, Verona. No, you are, what? That's why when I said our age, I was like, you're going to, if you could punch me through the screen. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I genuinely, I genuinely, genuinely would have put you in your 30s. Well, I'm just going to keep letting this roll and we'll just let this be the rest of the afternoon. You're telling me I look young I, and then I'll go I, and have a pedicure and go to bed happy. So. <laughs> I seriously am gobsmacked. 53. Yeah, well, I didn't start stand up till forty five, so that gives you a clue. Oh and I, yes, yeah, yes, you yeah, didn't. Oh yeah, my yeah, god! Yeah. So now you're not so surprised to have kids in their twenties. It makes more sense now. But it did take me. I mean, it, it, I find it a real advantage. First of all, and it's a different kind of barrier. But first of all, I'm determined. A bit like you, like the age thing. Are you all right? As you've got a yeah, you're giving. Yeah. Hello, podcast pennants. It's producer Mike here with another handy explanation. So it's gone weird here, as you probably noticed, but it's not because Verona's fainted because she's learned Callie's actually older than her youthful beauty would suggest. It's because Verona's partner just wandered into the room and disrupted the interview. But he's a nice guy, as you're about to hear. Is it true you met you met him through your brother? My brother, yeah, yeah. they were friends, yeah, and I ah. stole him. Ah, oh. and it's lasted 15 <laughs> years. I mean, I say lasted. It's still going. It's not like it's still only last 15 years. Why? So you were young, young woman when you met him. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, early 20s. Yeah, that's, so, that's yeah. young. Yeah. yeah, that's young, isn't it? it is, yeah. So yeah, that's also probably a testament to your feet being on the ground, because I think because your, your star has risen in all those years, hasn't yes. it? And the fact that yeah. you're still with the same person and he still sees the same person in you, that's yeah. really unusual. That says a lot about you as well, I think. And he's been so, and he's just been like there the whole time, supportive and is he you in know, the same industry as us or different industry? No, he's a social scientist. He's a lecturer <laughs> at Amazing. King's College University. Proper yeah. job, solid yeah. salary. Yeah. You know, but he is up. a creative though. He is no, he is creative though, because he used to um and he still writes now. We write together. We've just filmed a show, um, like a proof of concept that I'm trying to pitch um on the weekend. We just done that. Um so yeah, he's he's creative, but he um he he does the proper stuff as well. Yeah, God, I, I love you too. I think you might be my kind of like when I grow up, I want to be like <laughs> you too. What brought you back to um, what brought you back to Southampton then? Because it sounds like a lot of what you're doing is in London and you had quite mixed experience growing up in Southampton. So what made you want to move back? And you said it was quite recent. You know what? Yeah, I think um just the space. Also wanted to be like, I realized, you know, as you get older, I was very ill for about um six years. So, like, I just had no energy to do anything. And now I'm better. I've been better for about two years. I still do you mind me asking what, it, what was it something you're willing to talk about? The yeah, of course. I've got an autoimmune disease called um, Hashimoto's. Mm -hmm. So um, I, like, my, my um, uh, you know, I'm getting... I'm getting brain fog today. I don't understand why. It's one You're of talking to a menopausal woman, brain fog to brain fog. It'd be a wonder if we managed to work out how to hang up on the end of the call. <laughs> so yeah, my, basically your whole body just slows down. My hair fell out. You um, have chronic fatigue. I just changed the person completely. I wasn't myself. For six and, years. Um, for, yeah, for about wow. six years. I've been on medication the whole time. 
But um, and I genuinely, I think I had it as a kid as well. Um, but I think I got undiagnosed. I undiagnosed, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think you know now I've got energy and stuff. I just wanted to be around family, um, and then hopefully we'll eventually start a family as well. And then I can leave them our kids with our families. <laughs> Also, from what I've heard about you two, you need to have children because they're going to be super, so super, good. mega talented human beings. Oh. And we need some of those out in the world, for sure. Thank you. Yeah, and so we yeah, leave, can leave them, leave them with family members. But that's, so we came back to Southampton. Okay, babysitting. You're like, kids, I don't yeah. mind taking a hit on my postcode, but I do yeah. need babysitters. Exactly. Yeah. It's all adding go. up now. I didn't think about that. <laughs> my family is still in Dorset and I have my kids in London. Oh, my gosh. And I'll tell you now, it was, I mean, they did a lot. My kids would spend a lot of the holidays and half terms with my family, but um, they, it would have been amazing to have them around the corner. So, and yes. now I've got the dog. I'm like, I would really like someone around the corner to help me with the dog, but I've not managed oh. to do that yet. So, um, have all your kids moved out? Yeah. So, my big one lives oh, down wow. in Devon, actually. So, he, he works at Paynton Zoo as a zookeeper. Oh, so no. Nice. He's in Exeter at the moment. He's about to move to Torquay to be near the zoo so he's he's very like he was brought up in the middle of London you know in Camden couldn't wait to get to the countryside kind of the opposite of the journey you and I yeah. had so we yeah. were like out in the sticks a bit more we couldn't wait to get to London he couldn't wait to get out my daughter has always loved cities so she's been you know loved living in Camden then yeah. she moved to Amsterdam now she lives in Madrid so she's going oh my she's gosh, going city your hopping. babies are far yeah they are far they are far so which is why I have a little dog now to keep me um something to cuddle and something that can't leave me so yeah that's my oh. little dog Jeff if, if I'd had him when I did Pointless he'd have been in the studio but I didn't. Now he goes. Oh, everywhere. Jeff. oh yeah, yeah. Jeff. little showbiz. He's much more popular than me, little Jeff. Jeff. Do, you have him, do you hold him in a handbag? He's not so small. He's he's small enough that he can go in a rucksack. So I take him in a rucksack and he sticks out the top of the rucksack. Oh, that is so cute. And oh he's God, small enough so I can cute. have him under my arm and stuff. But he's also, you know, he's a proper, he looks like a proper dog. He's not like a yeah. toy dog, but he okay. is, he's portable. Namaste, motherfuckers. What would you pick as your namaste motherfucking life-changing moment? Oh, my gosh. That's difficult. Um, okay. My namaste motherfucking moment. Do you know what? I don't know if this this, this counts, but in 2000, so I, I went into teaching for a bit. So I used to run my own um, uh, drama school called Drama XL, um, used to have like hundreds of drama students. It was great. Of course, um, you did. It's the only thing I'd heard you not having done. So of course, you did that as well. <laughs> just before you did the other seventeen. That careers. was great. It's, it's weird, <laughs> isn't it? People always say that to me. You do photography. You do this. Like, yeah. But you know. Um. So it, it was. It was so much fun. But um, I remember I got to a point in around 2010 where I started. I even though I loved it and I loved seeing people grow and achieve and things like I do today. Um. I remember just feeling a little bit of me, something was missing. And then I remembered the reason I started doing that was something for something to fall back on if my acting didn't work. Mm-hmm. But then that became my main full-time mm-hmm. thing. And um, uh, in 2010, somebody that was like a family friend, um, just for his 30th birthday, he passed away just like suddenly. And I remember thinking, wow, like this was the first person I knew, you know, to, to pass away like that. And, and um and it just made me think life is way too short to to be doing things that you know because my mum loves telling people oh my daughter's teaching my daughter's doing this life is far too short to focus on things that other people want you to do so soon like a month after um he passed away I was like right that's it I'm going back to London came back to London 
um, set up my drama classes in London on a Monday. And I was like, right, that's it now. Full steam ahead with the acting and trying to pursue this. And I think it it was, um, it was, I, I hope I've answered that correctly. Totally, well, correctly. What an amazing answer and what a gift as well. Yeah. It's yeah. so hard, isn't it, to see when you, especially when you lose someone young, what the legacy can be and so that yeah. you're a living legacy as well which is an amazing thing for that person <laughs> you lost yeah yeah bless him yeah. So I'd say that very much constitutes a namaste motherfucking moment for sure it could be in the in the league table of fame oh, and uh, and what's your what's your favorite joke Verona my favorite joke okay should I do it to you yeah okay knock knock who's there knock knock who's there knock knock who's there knock knock who's there Knock knock. Who's there? Knock knock. Who's there? That's my favorite joke. Because I say knock knock, you say who's there, and I say knock knock. You're supposed to say knock knock who? Uh, oh but yeah. No one gets that. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Is that what people keep doing? Oh, do you want to do it again with me saying? Okay. Yeah. Go on. Knock knock. Who's there? Knock knock. Knock knock who? Knock knock. Let me in. <laughs> Uh, I'm tempted to keep the first one in because people will be like, Kelly, are you a comedian or a fucking moron? So yeah, then keep the first one because that's what everyone does. Is everyone that what everyone knock, does? Knock. Yeah, I'll go, no, no, they go, who's there? They keep going, who's there? Who's there? Who's there? Yeah. And you're like, I've got all night. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And if you could give one bit of life advice to anybody listening, what would it be? Um, okay, I, I say this to, to lots of people, um, but what other people think of you is none of your business. That was Verona Rose. Every episode, I pick a thing inspired by my guests that I'm going to do. And this week, well, it's kind of inspired by Verona. It's actually also because I'm taking a few days off uh, this week and I am going to read a book. And the book is The Brilliant, I've got it in front of me here. Uh, it's The Salt Path by Raina Wynn. My mum and dad just gave it to me this weekend. And it's a beautiful, incredible book. As the Sunday Times says, it's a tale of triumph, of hope over despair of love over everything which I think is a lovely tribute to Verona Rose and there's also a loose connection because it has a connection to the uh, south coast so that is what I'm going to be doing is reading the salt path I've got about a chapter in and it's very gripping we'll put a link to it in the show notes so that's it for this week thank you so much for listening please do remember to subscribe to the show that way you will never miss an episode and we will be back in your feed next Thursday as always when I will be talking to presenter and broadcaster the brilliant John Holmes. I knew I belonged because I thought I was arrogant enough to go I'm funny enough for this I can do this. Namaste Motherfuckers was written and presented by me Callie Beaton and produced by Mike Hansen and Karusha Dami for Pod People Productions with music by Jake Yap. I'm Callie Beaton. Until next time Motherfuckers. Namaste, motherfucker.